and welcome to A Reason for Hope. I am filling in for Pastor Dave Robson today, and it's my pleasure to co-host again, and studio with me is Bo Oblett. Yay, we get to hang out together today, right, Adrian. Right. And we used to do this uh, almost 30 years ago now, so it's kind of cool we get to do it today. Yeah, it's been a long time. I know, I know. Great. I know, just me and you, you and I, you know, it's really, <laughs> that's great. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I, I have some funny stories too, some really embarrassing ones, but uh, when you when you used to bring me out from when I lived in Minneapolis, you brought me down to do stuff for the, the youth. Uh-huh. And uh, I have a funny story that scared me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you don't know me and Adrian Van Vactor, go back quite uh, a long ways. And <clears throat> so it's... Um, it's wonderful to have uh, you and I still serving the Lord uh, strongly and uh, in the Word and being able to minister together. Mm-hmm. I mean, after all these years, really, really cool. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, we're so grateful to be here with you today. And before we get started to taking your questions, just a little bit background quickly about the program. If you're new, this is a Bible answer program where you can uh, chime in on social media platforms where we take questions from individuals all around the globe dealing with issues of uh, uh, Christian worldview, religions, um, is the Bible trustworthy, does God exist, to just understanding what what the scriptures, what the Bible has to say about how we live and what it means to have faith and how to be in community. So many things we've uh, wrestled with over the years. This this program began, gosh, 22 years ago. <clears throat> Started off as a radio program, and here we are now live streaming. We live stream to multiple platforms. You can follow us uh, uh, on <clears throat> Facebook, of course, and if you go to facebook.com and hit forward slash at uh, CCF Tucson, you can, and if you're already there watching right now, then you know where you're at, but uh, we'd encourage you to like or follow and of course share this live stream with those in your social media network so that we can get the word out. We also live stream to YouTube. If you go to YouTube and search for Reason for Hope, and if you do so, please subscribe and hit that notification bell so that uh, you can know all about our live streams. We live stream this program Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And of course, we <clears throat> also live stream all of our church services throughout the week. So if you uh, are interested in that, I'd really encourage you to stay tuned. Our YouTube handles are Reason for Hope 546. Our senior pastor, Scott Richards, uh, I'd encourage you to check out his Twitter feed. And if you have a question that you'd like to have tackled on the program, on a reason for hope you can tweet it out to him and uh we'll handle that question here on the program pastor scott will be in studio handling your questions mondays through fridays along with his sidekick pastor sean richards uh, <clears throat> so if you want to follow with scott you can do so at scott r4h that's his twitter handle if you prefer to avoid social media platforms you can go to our website calvarychristianfellowship.com and you hit that watch live tab and you can watch our services you can watch this program as well as all the things that we live stream you can even engage in conversation you can chat you can ask questions to this program you can even make prayer requests I encourage you to do that we also live stream to our app it's an awesome little app that has a digital bible you can take notes join uh, chat groups uh, make prayer requests <clears throat> you can uh, do just about anything you need to do right there on the app. And you can download that from the Apple and Google Play Store. 
We also live stream our services and this program to Amazon Fire products as well as Roku. So if you want to uh, add those channels to those products, you can follow along with us. Now, if you prefer to ask a question that maybe is a little sensitive and you want to just email it to us, you can do so at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, no numbers, at gmail.com. We also are going to, uh, I think, if we haven't already, um, put some of this material on Rumble. So look out for that. If you're in the Tucson area, uh, the next day, this program is broadcast on the radio. And what's the name of the radio station again? Reach. Uh, the, the number? The actual Reach Radio. Remember the... Oh, the number? It's like 107 point something. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you can find it on the web. You just go to Reach Radio, and then you can find out what Maybe 106.7. Maybe that's where I got it. Okay. Yeah. So you can check us out there. And uh, before we take your questions for today, uh, we'll take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom as we take on the very, very uh, challenging task of just answering questions mm -hmm. that people have about the Bible and about, uh, well, the reason we have hope. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace towards us. We do want to pray that you would speak through us uh, and that our words would be grace seasoned with salt uh, as we um, uh, just love on people and thank them so much for their questions and their involvement in the show. It truly is a, a collective show, um, and we are grateful for it. Um, so we come, come here really with a lot of appreciation in our hearts. Uh, Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us, and we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> thank yeah. you, Bo. And we already have yeah, a no question problem. from Raiders fan. Whoa, this is uh, Raiders on our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. How did they know I was from Southern California? I don't know. My brother is a Raiders fan, so maybe yeah. that's who it is. <laughs> <laughs> is that you, bro? <laughs> no, now, now they're in uh, Vegas, right? I have no idea. Yeah, I think they're in Vegas now. Mm. Yep. I think that, I think you are right. Yep. <clears throat> what is the weakness of God mentioned in First Corinthians one twenty five? How is it possible for God to have a weakness? Yeah, that's great. That's a good question. I love that. Let's go there. So it's chapter one, First uh, Corinthians uh, one and verse twenty five. And so let's kind of read it in its context to see if we can kind of figure this out. And that's the best thing always to do whenever you do have a question is kind of look at the look at the text and uh, kind of read through maybe um, the chapter itself. And you might want to read maybe a couple chapters in. But for our time here, we'll just kind of read a little bit from maybe verse 18. Okay. And take it from there. So it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Okay, so we, we kind of get something right off the bat um, uh, to the Raider fan there, is that the message of the cross is foolishness. So um, we have to go, okay, how is the message of the cross foolish? So it goes on, to those who are perishing, right? But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence, I will frustrate. So the passage that's being quoted is um, one that's speaking of frustrating the intelligence of human beings and how God's going to do that through um, this revelation that has happened through Jesus Christ, the message of the cross. Um, now it says, where's the wise man, where's the scholar, where's the philosopher of this, of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So we know the foolishness of what was preached is this message of the cross, because that's what it says in verse 18. So in verse 18, it says, for the message of cross of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is something that is ridiculous to them. Now, he gets into it a little more about this foolishness of what was preached, hence this idea of the cross. Uh, it says, Jews demand a miraculous sign or signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. These are what these cultures look to. to um, um, that's kind of what they boasted in, if you will. Jews sought for a sign from God. The Greeks really looked to wisdom, and they really had a lot of clout in those things. Obviously, the Jews looked to their past. And, you know, you, when you have a past of prophets such as Elijah and Elisha and uh, people like Moses in your past, you can see where there's a lot of uh, respect and pride on the miraculous. And the Greeks obviously look to their wisdom in philosophical thought, uh, which they have a long tradition in. And uh, so those are the things that God is going to frustrate through this thing that, he, that Paul sees and he calls the foolishness of that which is preached, which <coughs> is the cross, mm -hmm. the message of the cross. So he says, but we preach, so here's the foolishness, but we preach Christ crucified, right? Which sounds crazy, right? A crucified Messiah, a crucified king. So you can see how to those who are perishing, and hey, let's face it, when I was growing up a secular atheist in, in SoCal, um, the message of the cross was, was lame. Like, I didn't understand it at all. Like, it seemed ridiculous, you know? If Jesus is so good, why did he die? You know, that was the thought, is like, if he's so powerful and he's God in human flesh, then why would he not just overthrow people that are trying to like take them out. Um, and that's certainly the way you do it kind of in the hood, <laughs> in the streets. Mm, that's you the know? way of the world. That's <laughs> the way of the world is the hedge. You know, if you have power, you're going to conquer and you're going to take over. And if God, if Jesus really is God, then he's got power. And so you could see how the, the unregenerate brain, mm -hmm. the non-believing brain is working <clears throat> here. Especially when you understand the context of the book is Corinth, and they have come from a pantheon of the Greco-Roman deities, polytheism, many gods. And these gods were just as bad as humans were, in some cases worse, mm. where they were constantly uh, uh, characterizing cruelty and uh, just that kind of mentality, like you just suggested that if you were really God, you would just wipe them out. You would just <laughs> yeah, have take no mercy. Down, Let's, it's pow-pow time. <laughs> right. You know, Zeus with his lightning boats, whatever That's it may right. be. And so in that context, it would be very foolish for a God to say, no, I'm going to let you kill me. Yeah, the idea, the idea of Isaiah 53, right, the suffering servant, right, the one who would lay down his life 
you know, um, is really a sign um, in humanity of weakness. Um, humans see that as weakness. And so that's why it hence looks like foolishness, because it looks weak, you know. And Paul says, though, he makes it very clear, but we preach Christ crucified. So that is the foolish thing that is being spoken of. A uh, says a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. So what is deemed as foolishness in the eyes of men is actually more powerful. Meaning what, how unregenerate man looks at God's wisdom and sees it as foolishness in the cross of Christ. It actually, that is more powerful than anything man can conjure up. Mm. Um, because man can't do anything to get us um, saved. Man can't do anything to break the power of death. Um, and so whatever man conjures up in its reason, um, its reason is very limited. And it is an unregenerate reason, um, the ability to reason that we have. Mm. And um, yeah, that's still one per person. We're still O for however many billions of people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, the math bad losing streak. <laughs> yeah, the mathematician Blaise Pascal says, you know, what has man been able to do with his reason? We've been able to what you know build great buildings and and do neat things, but really, what have we really done? You know, nothing. You know, we really we go to war with each other. We continue to hate one another over and over and over. Hmm. Uh, we continue to die every day i mean you know we still have all the same problems that we've always had so uh for human beings to boast in their reason and say it's uh, above the reason of god god thwarts human reason by what they think is the foolishness of that which is preached the mm -hmm. cross so god's foolishness uh for the foolishness of god you know that statement that you're looking at is really reverting back to that idea of the cross and the work of redemption in the suffering servant um, that would be seen as a foolish act um, in those that are perishing. And that's, that's true. You go up to the average person and you say, hey, put your faith in you know, uh, a person who uh, is God in human flesh and he died for you on the cross. I mean, mm. that alone sounds pretty interesting. Like, wait, time out. God in human flesh dying, you know, on a cross? That, that Brutally? Yeah, not, brutally. Not just like heart attack one day. It was, you know, executed with criminals and debased and... <clears throat> Wow. Yeah, and I love the ending of this little section, mm -hmm. right? For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God. So it, it, it links foolishness and weakness to God being linked to the work of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, something that showed a foolishness to people. It showed a weakness. You know, if God's really God, you know, why don't you come down from that cross? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're really... You know, all the things there. So Paul's yeah. not suggesting that God is foolish or has foolishness. No. Or that he has weakness. Right. What he's saying is what you consider yeah. to be weakness and foolishness is actually wiser and stronger than your greatest strength and your greatest wisdom. 
right? Because it's he, creating a contrast just for it. He's using parabolic language for emphasis sake by creating this huge contrast, kind of like what he does yeah. later on in the book where he says, if I could move mountains and have <laughs> that kind of faith, but I don't have love, it's worthless. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And we know that from verse 18, right? For the message across is foolishness to those who are perishing, mm -hmm. right? So he's not making a, a argument that God is foolish or that God in his essence, in his nature, is not wise. Um, you don't see that anywhere. Um, yeah. Or that he has any level of foolishness in him or, or any level of weakness in him. In him. Yeah. yeah, nothing like that. But he's speaking of from the perspective of those that are perishing that would argue against the work of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, Paul will later build up his argument to the most powerful argument um, uh, seen in the Messiah, and that is of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he builds that up in the book. Um, and obviously, to the unregenerate, um, you know, what is, uh, you know, what have they done that is more powerful than conquer death? And the answer is nothing. So anyway, I hope that helps. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Raiders, and I uh, hope the answer was uh, helpful. Yeah. Uh, S.A. Eagleton, Eagleton, sorry if I brutalized that name, but uh, asked a really good question. I read online, <clears throat> all sin will negatively affect the mind and soul of a person, but sexual immorality will immediately and directly affect one's body uh, scripture singles out sexual sin as having far worse consequences than other types of sin. They used uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18 as their proof text. Is this a poor interpretation? Mm. So is, is it fair to characterize sexual sin as some greater, harsher level of damaging sin than any other area of sin? Man, that opens up so much. That's a big question. Um, but let me read the passage. And so we can just understand it a little bit of what's being spoken of. Um, so Paul, um, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I, I don't know if they re referenced this, but 1 Corinthians 1, uh, or chapter 6, that's where I'm going. Um, Adrian, is that what they were, is that where they were at, is 1 Corinthians yes, 6? Yes, 1 Corinthians 6.18. Yeah, okay, so we'll start it in 6.12. It says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Hmm, what a great principle in the Christian life. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Now, this seems to be a um, kind of a statement that was made, you know, back then. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Um, it seems to be something that people apply to the sexual appetite as well. Just as you have a stomach and you kind of want to feed it, so you have a sexual urge and you want to feed that as well. It says, but God will destroy them both. Hmm, that's interesting. Hey, <laughs> you know, God will destroy those things both. But God, um, but it says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And so now he specifies, obviously, uh, sexual immorality, which just means, you know, in the Greek, porneia, where we get that word. 
And, you know, to the Jew, it really moved into the realms of Leviticus chapters uh, 18, 19, and 20 in that section. Uh, that's where their minds would probably go. <clears throat> Is that, it's a very broad term. It's kind of all-inclusive of any yeah. kind of inappropriate sexual activity. It could yeah. be ad adultery, pornography, um, you know, just go down the list. Is that well, right? Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, it really, I, I think to the Jew, it probably was more specific to the book of Leviticus of the um, regulations on um, sex that's specified in the law of Moses. Um, over the years, of course, it, it's kind of grown into more things. And that's another topic, too, and how mm. that kind of sexual immorality has grown maybe even into more subjects than just the book of Leviticus because mm. um, there's more there's more sexual things than are just that are just mentioned in Leviticus like for instance Leviticus doesn't say anything about polygyny and polygyny is um, having more than one marital partner whether you're male or female that's polygyny there's polygamy you know which is a male does that make sense? A male having oh. more than one. Polygyny is the broad term gotcha. for a, a, of having more than one marital partner. <clears throat> so but, that could be male or female having more yes, partners. Yes, a polygynist relationship can be a male or a female having gotcha. more than one marital partner. But polygamy is specifically geared is male. men having multiple wives. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then there's uh, uh, polyamorous and then there's polyandry. So uh, when it comes to women things, um, so it's like, yeah, there's other words that would help um, us kind of fine tune it. So much but, gendered language. Yeah, Gosh. totally. But polygyny is just the broad, but the point is, is that Leviticus doesn't so much focus on that. Um, even though if I were to ask someone, hey, is, is polygyny, you know, part of sexual immorality? You know, you would say, mm, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. So, so <clears throat> Leviticus, when it says, "Hey, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mom. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your, you know, your aunts. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your dad. You know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You shall not um, uh, sleep with someone as, or, or you know, be with someone as you are uh, of the opposite uh, or of the same sex. You shall not have um, bestiality. You shall not be with an animal. You know, those kind of things." It's not a total encompassing list, right? So when it says sexual immorality, um, that has grown for sure. You know, it's not just the Levitical uh, list. Um, Is it because when if Leviticus were written today, it may have included a, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, maybe it would be a little more, in, maybe, maybe so. Um, Some honorable mentions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, or Maybe. dishonorable mentions, I should say. <laughs> yeah, there's other other thoughts towards that, but I'll, <laughs> I'll get back to that. Um, maybe because it's a long subject for sure. <laughs> um, but the body not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Okay, so it's talking about the Lord being for our bodies, um, and it, and it ends this way, right? Honor God with your body. This this chapter, um, for you are not your own; you were bought with a price. Um, this whole thing. And it really tends to, Paul really tends to focus here on sexual immorality. And, and some people certainly have taken this and I think moved it into the direction of saying what this person's alluding to, I think. And that is that um, there is something different about sexual immorality when it comes to sin. And we have to be careful with this because 
all sin is lawlessness. We get that from the book of James. So, and if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. Mm -hmm. you're, you're guilty. You're guilty of breaking the commandments. So um, we have to realize that. So um, in the Bible, we realize that when we sin, whether it's sexual sin or whether it's prideful sin or greed or envy or strife or whatever it is, or we know to do what is right and we don't do it, when it that we are missing the mark. And, and in that way, we need saving. Mm. And so it's good to, first of all, start there. That, you know, and every sin brings us to the place of needing salvation. I don't think anybody would argue that, you know. Where it gets kind of a little more tricky is, is that there's this other idea that people say is that, oh, well, that means that, you know, it doesn't really matter what sin I'm doing because all sin is just sin, you know, that kind of mm. idea. So if I <clears throat> shout profanities while I'm driving, well, gosh, I just sin and I'm guilty, and I'm also committing adultery, mm -hmm. and since all sin is all sin, they may equate the two and say, well, it's just as bad as cuss cussing when I'm in traffic. <laughs> right, yeah, and, and that's it, and, and that's not true. Meaning there is, first of all, in life, just in, in if we were going to take like empirical science, what we know to be true just because of repetition, we know that certain acts of disobedience are more rougher than other ones on the body, mm -hmm. right? There's no doubt about it. So, you know, you might lie and, you know, yeah, that's, that's hard on your conscience, you know, lying. Abraham lied about his wife twice, at least, <laughs> we know, and called her his sister, right? Um, Abraham also was a guy who had concubines, and so he also had sexual women at his disposal, which is pretty radical, you know, of an idea for a lot of people, you know. Um, you know, to, to say like, to, to say like, oh, well, Abraham, you know, somehow his lying maybe was greater than, or maybe was less than his sexual relationships with his concubines, like the issues that maybe he dealt with there. You know, I, I don't know if that's, that's where we want to go, you know, um, and so let me kind of play this out. In life, there's some sins that definitely are harder on the body. You know, um, if you have sex with a bunch of people uh, in life, it's gonna it's gonna be difficult. Um, um, if you take drugs, that's gonna be a difficult sin on your body. Um, for some people, the way they eat is very difficult on their body. Um, and, um, you know, sexuality, um, you know, isn't the only sin, uh, in a sense, against our body. Um, there are other sins that we commit that, that definitely affect our body. Um, but sex, definitely in this section, Paul seems to be indicating that there's something very unique about our sex lives. And so let me read this. 
It says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. So the body is important to God. He raised up his son, Jesus, from the dead. He's going to raise our bodies from the dead. So this body is of importance. So Paul is trying to get across, uh, kind of throw out this Gnostic idea that your body's really not that vital. And he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Wow, radical, right? <laughs> do you not know your bodies are members of Christ himself? What do you mean by that, Paul? Well, guess what? He's going to get into it and it's going to blow your brain. <laughs> what he's going to say. It's like one of those things where you just go, whoa, what are you talking about, Paul? This is intense. Now he says, shall I then take a member of Christ? Okay, so my body is a part of the member of Christ himself. Oh, that's hard for me to understand. The members of Christ, uh, the body of Christ, I'm a part of this body. And shall I now take a member of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Shall I take this member of Christ and just treat it trivially and just obey its appetite? You know, it wants to go do something, I go do it. Well, no, now it's Jesus's. It's Jesus's body. I'm actually a part of his body. Now, he's going to say something that's really going to blow our brains. And it's going to kind of make us go, whoa, whoa, whoa. So let's read on. He says, do you not know? Well, he says never. He says emphatically, never. We, you know, this is the Lord's body. We don't want to take the Lord's body and just do whatever with it. Now, he just gets done talking about everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Lying's not going to be good for me. You know, having sex with whoever I want is not going to be great for me. Doing drugs is not going to be good for the body. There's a lot of things that are not going to be beneficial, you know, for sure. And, but now he gets into this sexual thing, and now he hits it home right here. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Hmm. Okay, so when you go into, when you have sexual intercourse with a prostitute, the two become one, right? There is a, 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 a nakad, a compound unity going on, right? When you're with that prostitute. And he says, now this is the kicker. He says, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. He quotes Genesis, right? The two become one flesh, something vital, something very important, something absolutely amazing. God creates male, female, and he says, in the image of God, he creates them. There is something about the sexual union of intercourse, man entering into woman that shines, reflects a unique image of God, understanding the oneness of God. So when the book of Deuteronomy in the chapter 6 says, Behold, the Lord thy God is one. Hear, O Israel, right? The Lord thy God is one. That word is the same Hebrew word in Genesis where it says, And the two shall become one. Now we go, whoa, well, God's one. Well, yeah, God's one. Well, Adam and Eve, are they one? Well, no, they're two. But they become one. See, they're a compound unity. See, God doesn't... See, the sexual 
act is important and it is something that is very special. And you can sin in a way that is very unique to any other sin in a sexual way because the sexual act is a act that was created by God in the beginning that bears his unique oneness. That's the difference between the sex act and doing drugs or lying or eating too much. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The sex act was something that God created in Genesis. He said, in the image of um, in the image of God, he made them male and female. And then he, you see that he, he creates um, Eve for Adam and tells them to be intimate, to become one. And this oneness is the unique oneness of bearing. Now, you might be saying, Bo, you're reaching, you're reaching, you're reaching. No, nope, next verse, First <laughs> Corinthians chapter 6. What does he say? Verse 17. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. See, when you, have, when you become born again, Christ now takes up residency in you. The two, there's a unique oneness now that has taken place. Jesus prays in this way in John chapter 17, if you want to see it. God, make them one as we are one. What do you mean? Jesus is one. The Father's one, but Jesus is saying, no, we're, we're one together. We have a unique compound unity. And just as we have a compound unity together, so make me and them have a compound unity too. Spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking. But the, and so what Paul's saying is <clears throat> that this picture, this unique work of God is of creating sex and sexual intercourse is something that points to the, it is a image bearing act pointing to the creator. And when he says, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit, the idea is that he is in me, you know? So, so just as Adam was in Eve, so Jesus is in us, not physically, but he's in us spiritually. First John says it this way, his seed is in us. I mean, it's a really graphic term, you know. Um, Jesus' seed resides in us. He dwells in us. He is in us. He comes upon us. He is with us. These are intimate terms that go all the way back to the creative work of God mm. with Adam and Eve. They shall become one. Adam will go into Eve. You know, so it's this beautiful picture of the image of God. God is a unique being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as far as it being more sin, uh, a greater sin in the sense that sin is sin, not necessarily sin is all sin. Right. It's still lawlessness and law breaking. Yeah, it still moves us to the place of needing salvation. Yeah, but, but it, as far as its natural consequences are greater, as illustrated in Romans 1, where he talks about how they have received in their own bodies due penalty for their yeah. immorality, 
but and and of course the consequences of the one flesh are children that's the that's the result of the one flesh union is that now you have this composite copy of the two people who uh, engaged in intimacy together so yeah. so there's that kind of one fleshness and then whatever uh, i've heard people say things like being soul tied when you have intercourse with someone and i'm not quite someone sure else. that's a real biblical yeah, concept yeah. but they in, in order to sort of understand what does it mean to be one flesh the two will become one uh, they've uh, people have sort of come up with these kinds of ideas but it's uh, I, it seems to me that it's simple that the one fleshness is the idea that you're producing offspring that are now a single individual uh, being composed of by two people as well as whatever emotional union took place but the idea that it's a picture of what the union we have uh, a physical manifestation of the spiritual union we have with God to violate that yeah like in first uh, Thessalonians he says uh, um, gosh let me look it up here <laughs> yeah um, we go to the book oh yeah chapter four uh, it is God's uh, uh, verses three it is God's will that you should be sanctified to be sanctified means to be made holy the word holy simply means to be set apart for God's use so be sanctified that's God's will for you and then rather than just moving on uh, the apostle says that you should avoid sexual immorality each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know god so there is a special sort of dynamic to sexual immorality that really shouts the ultimate rebellion against god yeah it's like a, it's like you almost get the sense that paul's talking about you know, I love this section where he says, flee sexual immorality, the next verse in verse 18, because he says, all other sins a man commits or a person commits are outside his body. But he who sins, sins uh, sexually sins against his own body. You get the idea that because Jesus resides in us, there is like a totality mm -hmm. of effect that's going on. Jesus should have full residency of our, of our body. And to be image bearing of God, um, you know, we should uh, ha live in this controlled way that Thessalonians is talking about, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and so Paul seems to be indicating that there's a lot more going on with how uh, uh, how Jesus is living in us and moving in us, and and how sexuality is a picture of not only God in His nature of being a compound unity, and He creates a compound unity with Adam and Eve having intercourse and having children, but also this uniqueness of, of Jesus dwelling in us, hmm. where he literally becomes one with us. And that's not just one with our, like, like, our, like outside of the body, but one in a totality sense. He has taken up residency within us. He is going to raise our bodies from the dead. Um, Every part of our being is now a part. Jesus, it's you tied, if you will. It's you, it's it's knit to Jesus Christ, you know, and you know maybe this is why too. There's such a huge always attack on biblical sexuality in our culture, um, is because of the uniqueness of sex being uh, a creative act of God. Mm. And well, it seems like it's the ultimate expression of bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. 
you know, my yeah. body, my choice. Yeah. It's the ultimate expression of rebellion against God to say, oh, you know, I may cheat other people, this or that, but this is the sort of the the end game, as Paul again in Romans 1, where he talks about how uh, they've abandoned God, they've replaced him with the created things, they now worship created things, they know about God but deny him, and now the ultimate consequences or the ultimate, the pinnacle moment of rebellion is complete abandonment of any kind of sexual uh, morality or purity. Yeah, yeah, so hmm. it, 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 it certainly... Um, is a good question. Uh, a lot of people do look at sexual sin as being kind of the worst kind of sin uh, of any others. And that is um, the reason why I kind of uh, would have to challenge that a little bit is because a lot of the people of faith in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, of the Hall of Fame of Faith, what we would call the Hall of Fame mm -hmm. of Faith, these are people that lived in the Old Testament that walked faithful walks that we are to emulate. Um, we see that uh, some of the things in their lives we don't want to emulate, and some of those things are their sexual mm -hmm. uh, drive. Well, there's and <clears throat> the consequences are kind of obvious. I mean, think about the the ages long conflict between those who are descended from Israel and those who are descended from the Arab nations. All goes back to an act of sexual morality. Right. I mean, yeah, there are consequences that are greater especially when you're defrauding other people. So let each one uh, make sure that they uh, um, acquire, I don't like the word acquire, uh, have their own wife uh, so that you don't defraud your brother. So you, when you commit an act of sexual matter, you're defrauding somebody, you're robbing someone, you're stealing from them something that never belonged to you. And so there's huge ramifications. And if, if the ultimate ethic is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one another, then the ultimate violation of that is when we abuse and treat each other as physical objects. And it's, it's like I said, the ultimate moment. But as far as theologically, we're all guilty of sin. And if you have never committed an act of sexual morality, you're still as guilty of a sinner as the person who has. <laughs> yeah. And so and there's the an emphasis right. there. Yeah. And Jesus really lays it out on the Sermon on the Mount, right? That he who lust, you know, you, you know if you lusted in your heart, you know, it's, 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 that's where adultery starts, mm -hmm. you know, so that's where it begins. So you can see your own frailty and your own need of salvation right there. So well, thanks uh, for that question. Yeah, it's a great then, one. Yeah. Uh, Mac wants to know, what's your take on the 700 Club? Legitimate? Are uh, charities like Operation Blessing and Samaritan's Purse good to give to? How about St. Jude? <clears throat> oh, so different, different like places to give, you know, I, you know, I, I think in, in, in all those those kind of questions, and those, those are good questions, and, um, and um, you know, but what you need really is a lot of discernment mm -hmm. in, in those questions. Yeah. And, you know, in the book of James, chapter 1, it tells us to, you know, pray for wisdom and uh, that, that God will give us that liberally. And, um, and this is really one of just wisdom. You know, what is the wise thing to do with your money? And where can you... Uh, you know, and if you are tithing at a church and you are building up the local body of Christ and you have extra extra funds that you want to reach out to, um, you know, you need to look into their doctrinal statement. And I would suggest that you go on everybody's website and just go through the doctrinal statements. Try to find their doctrinal statements. What do they believe? Um, 
And if you can read through that and, and you go, well, wow, you know, that makes sense. And yeah, I totally agree with that. Then uh, you're probably, it's probably a good bet, you know, a good safe uh, place to give, you know. Um, but, um, you know, the 700 Club has been around a long time. Um, it's been around since uh, I certainly was in my 20s. And, uh, and which was 30 years ago. <laughs> so I think that 700 Club started back then. Um, and um, it seems like it's always been kind of a news slash um, kind of uh, encouraged testimonial kind of uh, Yeah, it was show. a <clears throat> television program and they yeah. launched and they started getting satellites and broadcasting to yeah. other countries. Uh, like with any program, you obviously have to always be discerning. You have to be like the Bereans yeah, who tested everything that the Apostle Paul said through testing the scriptures, test, test all things. Do not trust every spirit, as Paul tells Timothy, but mm -hmm. test them. And uh, 700 Club does lean towards the more charismatic side of the spectrum of mm -hmm. evangelical theology. Um, and sometimes... Uh, Pat Robertson. I'm not quite sure if he founded the 700 Club, but I certainly, yeah. when I was uh, a non-Christian, I was getting ready to headline at the world-famous Magic Castle in Hollywood, so I had my little pickup truck and my kennel of doves, <laughs> mm. live birds, and I didn't have air conditioning, so I had to drive at night, and I'm driving down Interstate 10 from Tucson, Arizona, all the way to Hollywood. And uh, I needed something to listen to, and all I had was a cassette player, this is, uh, gosh, this is 1993. And so I, my mom had The Armor of God by Pat Robertson. Mm. So I just grabbed it and threw it in my front seat. And, <laughs> and I had to drive at night because and it was... And you got saved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I drove at night because I didn't want my doves. They can't handle the heat very well. They can handle the cold as long as there's not a draft, but they don't handle uh -huh. heat very well. And so I thought I'd just drive all night and get uh -huh. to Hollywood in the morning. And uh, I was listening, and I just remember you know, thinking I'm going to have to pull over because I was just bawling my eyes out, being convicted by the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. through the words of Pat Robertson. And so, you know, God will, you just have to, again, be discerning. Even when you watch this program, you need to test everything through the Word of God. The final arbiter for truth for every believer is the Scriptures, not Pastor Bo's opinion, not Pastor Scott's opinion, nor Pat Robertson's opinion. Uh, so we have to be discerning, but 700 Club, I, I do kind of tend to cringe a little bit just because sometimes we tend to over-spiritualize or over-supernaturalize everything that happens in life, and sometimes you get that that extra dose of what I would call uh, Pentecostal emphasis. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, uh, they do have some really great programs, so I wouldn't write them off altogether. Yeah. And so, uh, again, you know, when you have a, a channel that has multiple programs and guests and speakers, yeah. you never know. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm surprised you guys have me on this program because you, you never know what I might just spew out because who knows what I think about something. But, you know, you never know. But uh, uh, um, in Samaritan's Purse, I've heard good things about them. Uh, I think I may have even uh, supported them at one point. Of course, they're all about um, <clears throat> helping uh uh, the persecuted and children who grow up as in, impoverished nations and so on. But um, yeah, and yeah. that's a, I think Samaritan's Purse, uh, isn't that a Billy Graham kind of background um, organization? I'm not quite sure. I'd have to. 
Yeah, look up to... look up who it is. But that's that's kind of what comes to my mind when I think of Samaritan Purse. I think of um, Billy Graham. But yeah. um, it might be one of his, uh, you know, his kids' organization or something like that. But, yeah, definitely look up who, you know, where these organizations come from and companies yeah. and, and yeah. what they support and things like that. Do your due diligence. Yeah, and I wouldn't write 700 Club off completely, Mac, but I would be – I'm a little more cautious, but they seem to be more mainline. Um, there are other programs that are uh, definitely not biblical. So and I wouldn't classify 700 Club as one of them. But then again, it's, you know, we're talking a long history of content. And uh, who knows how much they, they may evolve better or worse <laughs> yeah. even in the next month. So you have to always just be discerning anytime you're listening to something uh, from anyone. Always just um, make sure that you are filtering everything through scripture and not take anything for granted. Um, yeah, I always sometimes, you know, I always, you know, love believes all things, it hopes all things. You know, that's what 1 Corinthians 13 says about love, you know, and, and I always like, you know, believe all things, I hope all things. I, I hope that, you know, you know, these people are, are, you know, they're wanting to do what's right according to the scriptures. And, and uh, um, I know in the book of Philippians, you know, um, we read about Paul, you know, just rejoicing that Christ is being preached. You know, um, he talks about some people preach Christ through, through a, a, a kind of false motivation um, uh, for, it seems like, personal gain. But, uh, but he says, hey, but I will rejoice that Christ is preached. And, and sometimes that's where you just got to leave it. You know, it's like he just rejoiced that Christ is preached. I've never met these people. Um, you know, I don't know them personally. So, you know, you can only say so much. Well, we've got uh, another question here that uh, uh, is from Calv, and uh, I wonder if that means Calvary. I don't know, but uh, thanks for tuning in, Calv. Uh, I like that name because I, I my firstborn, his name is Cal, not with the B, but uh, and with a K. But uh, anyhow, uh, Calv wants to know what does Revelation nine sixteen mean. Is this a literal demonic army, or is this the Battle of Armageddon? And uh, Pastor Sean Richards uh, is, uh, is is answering uh, it right he's now. He's already online. I'll, I'm going to just like, read his answer just to put it into yeah. in here because he wrote it out. And uh, what and that passage way was, is he at? Revelation. Um, well, the questioner asked about Revelation 9:16. Okay. Uh, so Pastor Sean wrote in and said the Battle of Armageddon is in Revelation 19. The existence of an army with numbers higher than one is all you'd need to take away from the verse alone. Uh, the next verse tells me they're likely demonic. Others believe it's an attempt to illustrate modern weaponry to an ancient audience. Oh. I personally disagree. The verse after that then explains that the total loss of life from the fifth to the seventh trumpet judgments will result in a third of mankind being killed, not all of it. So that's the distinction from Armageddon. Where yeah. Arm, uh, the distinction is that you know that this one is a is uh, certainly a uh, there's a lot of fatality going on in Revelation nine of the um, the trumpet judgments. But what, what uh, Sean's getting at is that it's, it's not the Battle of Armageddon that you see in chapter 19, where it really literally is the end, you know. Um, so there is a distinction being made. You know, when I was um, in my 20s, I remember reading The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. 
And I remember just being totally amazed by it. You know, he would go over this passage, the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle on their heads. They wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth and they breastplates and breastplates of iron. Um, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses. And he's like, it's a helicopter. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and I remember just like, whoa, you know, and Sean alludes to that in his answer by saying, hey, some people have looked to this as modern weaponry um, and stuff like that. Um, and you go on and it says they had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollon. Uh, the first woe is past, the two other woes are yet to come. So it sounds super spiritual <laughs> for sure, you know. Um, how do you take this? I'm not quite sure, you know, if this is a literal, how this is. Um, I love to take things very literally in the Bible. I tend to, um, myself personally, that if the Bible doesn't specifically tell me it's not literal, you know, like in the book of Revelation in the first chapter, it'll tell you, oh, the, the, the lampstands aren't, that, that is this, mm -hmm. you know, and you go, oh, great, you know, you kind of get it, you know, it's like, it's not talking about the lampstand, it's talking about something else. Mm -hmm. um, so if it's specific, then I go, okay, you know, I mean, if it's literal and it's not giving me the interpretation or anything, then I just kind of tend to take it fairly literally. You know, in the book of Joel, we see, uh, that's the Old Testament book of Joel. You see a swarm of locusts come on the scene. Um, and that seems to be pretty bad uh, back in that day. But these are locusts that are on some serious yeah. stuff. And um, well, as Sean said, the the fifth through the seventh trumpets, you see uh, great calamity, and, and describes these mounted troops twice ten thousand times ten thousand. Yeah, and they uh, the horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur. So obviously, when you talk about smoke and sulfur coming out of someone's mouth and then it that smoke and sulfur killing a third of mankind, uh, there is an, a symbolicness to it. And as Sean said, it's probably demonic, not necessarily um, not real, but yeah. at the same time, um, you know, a demonic activity and I think what was this specifically he was asking he wanted to know is this literal demonic army or is it, it probably a little bit of both being that um, the angels describing the the four angels I think earlier in the passage it says that there's um, let's see here uh, sound of the trumpet I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God it said the sixth angel who had the trumpet released the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and uh, the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So the angels are released to kill a third of mankind, and then all of a sudden it jumps to these mounted troops. So obviously this is part of God's judgment on humankind. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at verse 20, it says, um, you know, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of their works of their hand. And it says, and they did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, 
idols and it cannot see nor hear. So it seems that these aren't even demonic. This is angelic. This is God judging humanity uh, through literal angelic beings coming out. And whether this display would be, uh, you know, heavenly and or there's a parallel between angelic and human invention ingenuity where there is some kind of level of of that there that uh, I guess remains to be open we'll have to get the book of revelation experts out on on Wednesday tomorrow if you tune in maybe we can get them to add a little insight I know that if you go to our website calvarychristianfellowship.com or download our app uh, Pastor Scott has taught through verse by verse the entire book of Revelation so I'd really encourage you to check that out go to our website you can listen to every message he goes verse by verse so that there is not a single part of the text of the whole book that is not discover or discussed or talked about in these sermons so and i think he's done it twice that I, in the last 20 years he's gone through the whole book of revelation at yeah. least twice yeah so and i think we have both versions on our website so you just go to uh, sermons and in fact I might be able to bring it up no I won't have time because we're about ready to end but hey thanks Pastor Bo for being in with us yeah uh, no today. problem no problem thank you very much and thanks for your question thanks for tuning in uh, we'll be here again tomorrow 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time Pastor Scott hopefully will be here as well as Pastor Sean Richards thanks for tuning in and God bless you You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.